0: Dead. That it. Is- Welcome back. And Elliot is dead. Uh, We'll be honoring him by purchasing normalnorms.net because .dot nut is not an option, as we just recently discovered. Thank God. God. This episode sponsored by Norm's Nuts. Shout out, Norm. Get your what, boys? Nut smashed, nuts for, smashed free. for free. Yay! Yay, Elliot. Did you just say nuts? No, I mean, same thing, right? Garlic knots. New Italian euphemism
1: just dropped. <laughs> Jesus. I mean, honestly, does anyone still listen to it? We could
0: we can just say whatever. Listen, we've got dozens. Dozens of listeners.
2: Great, and I'm sure they're super excited to hear about what nut we're gonna be talking about today.
0: They are. Funny you should ask though. Elliot. What are you gonna to try to squeeze in a black joke about walnuts? Ding 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 Sad. ding. Wow. Black walnut time. This is creativity at work. It is. I mean if I didn't do it, what would we do without it? Really, like think a about happiness, it. Fulfillment, happiness, fulfillment, happiness, joy. It's all I know. It's like, it's like that meme. If if such and such didn't exist, and it's like the futuristic yeah. planets. It's like it's, that's me, basically. If I didn't exist, everything would be great. That might be a good one. <laughs> the world without might Paul almanac. The, the world without Andy, more <laughs> specifically. It's a polarizing thought. Polarizing. Speaking of polarizing, uh, we're talking about the black walnut, which is a pretty polarizing plant, depending Ooh, on who you ask.
1: Smooth transition,
0: like that butter, that black walnut butter. Can can you make black walnut butter?
2: Is it shelf stable? I don't. I don't know. Is it shelf stable? <laughs> Too much oil in walnuts, right? That'd go rancid.
0: Yeah, is I mean, you just can oil? just get oil. There's no actual butter. You no. could probably like whip it into like a buttery. I don't know. We're already I talking
2: tried. about eating it. Let's learn a lot. Let's learn about the fuckers. What are they? What is it?
0: Yeah, so black walnut. Black walnuts are a native walnut from much of North America. Um, they're described as having large black nuts with complex flavors. And um, depending on who you ask, those flavors can be butter or they can be old feet. Depends on your palate. Now, for the non-foraging crowd, the people that just buy their food at grocery stores, the black walnut is kind of a menace to, like, suburban lifestyle. It drops hundreds, if not thousands, of these, like, tennis ball-sized droops that are green and literally look like a tennis ball. They basically are weapons that fall from the sky. You know, you can throw them at your kids. Your neighbor's kids can throw them at you. You know, all that fun stuff. I mean, it
2: sounds terrible, but at the same time, you can eat it. So if you have these in your neighborhood, you need to tell me where you live.
1: (laughs) Just Elliot. Actually, you know what? I won't tell anybody else. This could be a good chance. Why don't we just share addresses on the podcast? That could be fun. No, no, no.
2: You can send them directly to me. You can DM me. It's fine.
0: (laughs) Elliot, the, the ghost of the Poor Pearls Almanac with no public social media profile.
2: That's right. You can't find me, but I can find you.
0: Then how are they going to reach you?
1: See, this is
2: no. this is just Fed right.
1: talk. This is absolutely Fed talk. Says the man with three bags of tannerite right behind Dude, him. Dude, we don't talk about stuff on the cameras.
2: <laughs> yeah, they can't see us, Andy.
0: Oh, right. Um. Anyways, so let's talk about this black wall. While it has been uh, on the landscape in North America, and actually the entire planet longer than even the oak tree that's just wild it's older than older than oaks as a species hell yeah it actually originated the black walnut as far as we know in the countries like midwest and southeast and kind of worked its way across the continent now when we think of it while we i think contemporarily think of it as um having been a coastal tree because it tends to live in riparian zones uh it's actually had very little documentation of being uh on the coast Until relatively recently, and uh, extremely recently, if we're talking about like where some of us live, the Northeast. All right. So,
1: Andy, you're going to have to like define for our listeners what relatively recently is because that could be like when you're talking about shit, that could be like the last 10,000 years.
0: Wow, Matt. Not everything has to go that far back.
2: I mean, but it is a nice change of
0: pace. Well, evidence suggests. The black walnut has existed since at least the late cretaceous period that's what i'm talking about yeah that that's pretty oak tree everyone for those oak listeners so the delicious or feedy black walnut is one of the few foods today we share today with the dinosaurs so are you saying jesus
1: broke walnut bread with dinosaurs
2: wait are you talking about the wizard jesus breaking bread with like raptors from jurassic park
0: for the record i was absolutely saying that for the record now, despite its lengthy time on Earth and existing in every hardwood forest type, they've actually never really played a central role in any forest ecology. Uh, that doesn't diminish the important role in, like, human history, though, right? So people have been eating black walnuts probably since they've existed, which is since humans existed. So despite being a part of our food system across the globe here in the U.S., it was only really in the early 20th century um, that the black walnut was really researched with any seriousness. So what about outside the U.S.? So, walnuts do have a ton of research behind them, uh, primarily in Europe and Asia. Now, black walnuts specifically, not so much. So, what
2: you're saying is it sounds like these black walnuts have, like, a bunch of history, but nobody really knows about it, the black ones specifically?
0: Yeah. It seems typical. Yeah. I'm not going to, yeah. I won't
2: get, I'm not, you know, I'll let it slide,
0: continue. If it makes you feel any better, we're not even talking about white walnuts this season.
2: (laughs) It does make me feel a little bit better, I guess, but I didn't know white walnuts were a thing either. I thought they were just walnuts.
0: Listeners, take notes. This is how to be an ally. Oh my god. So all of this research stemmed from two areas, three even. The first was that the black walnut wood was highly valued, so much so they were stripping the landscape for lumber, and uh, they needed to figure out a way to grow faster, straighter firewood, or timber, lumber, you know, all that kind of stuff. The second was around the concern of black walnut wilt. As the permanent agriculture movement was taking off, uh, and they were trying to find ways to introduce tree crops to the rest of agriculture. Um, There's this idea that black walnuts can destroy uh, the soil beneath it for other plants. So people will talk about, like, black walnut wilt or whatever, and that's this idea that, like, black walnuts create an environment that nothing else can grow in it. And uh, we're going to talk about the permanent agriculture movement uh, in a few months. So uh, get excited about that. I've already got my advent calendar set up. It's all nuts. All nuts. It's nuts. It's nuts. Norm would be so proud. Did Norm sell this Theta uh, Advent calendar? I feel like he would. It just appeared one day on my doorstep. Should I?
1: That should I maybe not eat eat it? I should. No, you should definitely. Okay, eat it. I'll eat it.
0: It's probably from Norm's gnomes. Norm's gnomes who
1: delivers the nuts.
0: Yeah, I mean during the holiday season he's too busy. So yeah, he's he's got his boys. Norm's gnomes. Elliot looks so fucking disappointed right now. It's amazing. Ugh. No, you know who's actually delivering these nuts is the fucking squirrels that live in my walls. I mean, I didn't say Norm's gnomes were human. Yeah, true. We don't know. It would just be like Norm to uh, train a a herd of squirrels and or raccoons Mm -hmm. to deliver advent calendars.
2: I'm trying to get over the fact that you said permanent agriculture movement twice and you just refused to say permaculture.
0: No, it's not the same thing. What? Not at all. Yeah, no, I'm serious. We're going to talk about it. This is from the early 20th century. Permaculture did not exist for another 50 years.
2: The permanent agriculture has been around since it's been around. And
0: this is the sound of me shaking my hand vigorously in a particular direction. Are you getting ready to throw some dice? Maybe. <laughs> let's, let's get back to black walnuts, though. All right. So, a while ago, I think it was episode 99, we talked about foraging and the history of foraging and how it kind of got systematically criminalized. Um, That's really important, understanding a lot of these tree crops and how they've evolved in terms of, like, our diets. Historically, black walnuts have been considered, like, a pest in farm fields. They tend to sprout up really quickly in uh, deep, fertile soils. so your typical farmlands, right? Basically, wherever you would see black walnuts is places where you didn't want tree crops. You wanted your annuals, so they were considered a weed, basically. Despite it being a weed in that space, that didn't mean farmers weren't in some ways, casually selectively breeding black walnuts prior. In the 1800s, many farmers were selectively choosing to keep the largest black walnuts that they could find, specifically the ones with the biggest shells, uh, when they were thinning their forests or their pasture edges uh, or any of those types of things. So they were keeping the ones that were the best. Now, despite this, little work was actually being done to replenish those trees that were lost to clearing uh, or to keep some genetic diversity going. Uh, organizations like the NNGA sprung up to accelerate the process of sharing knowledge and cultivars by doing things like contests and journals and basically giving publicity and showing interest in these plants. The, you said the NNGA? Is that the Norm's Nuts Grows Association? Yes, that is it. it, it we only live to serve Norm. I don't think he actually is. He's like the George Soros of this niche content. <laughs> That, that is what we have to accept. So George Soros is actually Norm from Normal Nuts is where we're going with this. Uh, speaking of which, totally unrelated, I think we have a commercial from our good friend Norm. Hey, it's Normal Norm down at Norm's Nut, and for a limited time, we've got a spooky good sale going on right now. The deals on our big nuts are downright scary. You'll think we blew a gasket giving away our tasty nuts at this price. For a limited time, buy one bag of our famous little cooked chestnuts, get a boot bag loaded with an explosion of flavor to take home to your friends and family. You'll turn white like you've just seen a ghost when you get a load of that free bag of nuts. Go find us on the web at normsnuts.nut, or visit us down at John Brown Drive now. That's Norm's Nuts.
2: Good God! It gets worse every single time. Hey, we're back. We're back to talk about those big black, thick, smelly black walnuts. Isn't that
1: fun? This is this is just a blast. Wait. So if what does
0: NNGA stand for? Uh the Northern Nut Growers Association, oh. which still exists. It's like thirty-five bucks a year to be a member. So mm. everyone should go do that.
2: If you live in the Northeast, is it just the Northeast?
0: in North America, the I North think.
2: American continent. Oh shit.
0: I think it's actually, like, the northern part of the continent, but, uh, like, obviously southern genetics come up, so I think it's really basically North America or, like, the United States.
2: That sounds like a fun way to spend $35.
0: Doesn't it? And they're not even sponsoring us to do this. Wow. So when they get, like, a bunch of random subscriptions, they're not going to know why.
2: Tell them Andy sent you.
0: Yeah. Tell Mandy Andy sent you. Just like uh, that book. What was it? Uh, f- uh, the Milwaukee book. Oh, yeah. There's like that one place in California that has copies for like 10 bucks. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, we, we, we shut those people down. As I was saying before, uh, a lot of breeding work was being done, even if it was very slowly and only recently by institutions and farmers. But it's worth noting that much like the Persian walnuts on the shelves at your grocery stores or the Carpathian walnuts. Uh, The breeding work, which had made black walnuts as accessible as they are today, had likely been done by indigenous tribes, and many of those farmers were simply enjoying the fruit of these hundreds of generations of labor.
2: And then about 100 years later, an obscure podcast spends three months talking about these specific farmers.
1: Not three months. Not yet. We know the list is a real thing, and we've seen
0: the list, Andy.
2: Yeah, I would say this is an intervention, but we need the content.
0: It's an intervention I'm ignoring. We can both do it. Can you do that? We can, because I'm doing it. Now, alongside organizations like the NNGA... Normy Norms. Yeah, Normy Boy. uh, The TVA, for example, the Tennessee Valley Authority, uh, spent many years, from the 30s through the 60s, through about 1960, not really into the 60s. uh, They were identifying trees and cultivars that were well-adapted to the valley under the, uh, the eyes of the slightly racist Arthur E. Morgan, and less racist, or not racist at all, I'm not 100% sure, John W. Hershey. Of course, we can't talk about Hershey without talking about J. Russell Smith, who, while not actually working for the government, had become such a powerful voice in the agricultural sector, was kind of like an unofficial leader of the TVA's work around these plants.
2: So you said his name was J. Edgar Hoover, but of plants?
0: Yes. You know, the way he could move plants around the country, you could call him jay bredger uber because he oh my was god
2: it was like three horrible puns reading them no reading them
0: it. and and moving them you know get
1: it breadger there there are times uber. where i'm proud of the things that are done on this podcast i think this podcast has had a lot of you know interesting conversations shares a lot of good information this is not one of those times that i'm proud of what we're putting on the air same. So I'll just let that sit. So I'm glad you're here, Matt. Now it's two against one, Andy.
2: Do better.
0: Do wow, what are you, an internet troll? <laughs> Do better. Anyway. Oh man. As the nineteen sixties rolled wow, in. Jesus. All right. Just gonna keep going. Yeah, I'm gonna roll right through a power through. Efforts at this time started to shift from identification of existing black walnuts and instead centered on the breeding for improved genetics. Shortages had become apparent in the walnut timber industry. The focus was placed on breeding faster, straighter black walnuts. But the reality was, was that our understanding of walnut genetics was still, like, pretty bad. And this basically inhibited a lot of these breeding projects. So, like, stands of trees for breeding would show significant variation in every tree. And, like, one consistency, for example, was uh, southern walnuts would grow taller and wider faster. Plant Plasticity was...
1: I guess poorly understood at best at this time.
2: Yeah, we we can ask Arna,
1: or the better ask Jeeves. There's no way you remember Ask Jeeves. No, I don't. But I know you millennials love him. It's like talking to a boomer about Led Zeppelin that
0: eyes light up and they're not on the verge of death for five seconds. <laughs> well, that 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 hurts. <laughs> but by, by the end of the 1960s, there are uh, 18 nut cultivars that were widely used for, n- for nut production in the central hardwood region. Researchers were working to find a way to produce straighter trees, thinner shelled nuts, and trees that showed stronger uh, resistance to a fungus from Iran that spread across the globe, causing leaf loss and fruit damage. Now, this wasn't all like in one, like, expected in each tree, right? So they're having different projects for each of these different areas. Uh, So out of that, six were for nut producing and so on and so forth. Newer breeders, uh, that focused on nut production, which I'm guessing is what our audience is more interested in. The biggest one right now is the Missouri Center for Agroforestry. And uh, what they did is they looked at their Persian walnut breeding project to highlight the goals and methods of a black walnut breeding program. Now, in Persian walnuts, wide tree crowns have proven to be most productive, so that's been a focus. Also similar to the Persian walnut, spur-bearing in eastern black walnut greatly increases productivity. Ah, uh, yes. Spur-bearing. Like them cowboys with their spurs on their boots. Yeehaw.
2: <laughs> what?
0: I just, yeah, what? Mm, mm.
2: I'm speechless. Okay. First time ever.
0: I am so proud of you. Um, so... For folks that aren't familiar with the term spur-bearing, uh, this basically uh, refers to, and I think we covered it a little bit in um, the Fruit Orchard episode like 12 or something like that, um, the idea of like w- if you have a tree growing that produces some kind of fruit or nut, or in this case a droop, they sometimes have these short, compact branches um, that they'll grow one year, they'll only be like three or four or six inches, uh, and then the second year, uh, they'll start producing fruit in clusters on. Uh, so if you've been to, like, an apple orchard and there's large amounts of fruit on each branch, if you actually look at them, they're not on the big branch. They're on these little branches that come off of it. So having more of these means you're going to produce more fruit, right? Now, the counterweight to increasing this annual production is working to even out the year-to-year yield. Uh, because anyone that's harvested nuts knows that you have what's called mast years, right? These are years that have massive nut drops. So you want to basically, if you're going to try to make this an actual crop that people can rely on every year, that means you can't have these huge swings in the nut production. So part of increasing production is also trying to reduce the variability of a mast non mast year. And uh, high production years can uh, impact the following year's crop because that means there's reduced availability in nutrients uh, and all the things that the tree needs to be able to produce a high volume of nuts. Right. Basically, we can try to We have to figure out ways to produce more, but also produce more evenly from year to year.
2: Okay, so trying to bring it back to something that I know, like there's corn and everything and it's kind of not cool. But at the same time, it's also nice to not have to worry about whether or not having a mass year is going to mean people eat or not.
1: Yeah, but think all the like fun tree crop based hunger games that we could uh, we could put together. Do you think you do well in those, bud? Uh, no, no, I'd um, I I go down pretty quick. Maybe I'd do the thing where I just hide in the mud.
0: He'd be a mud man. Mud man. I could see Matt being a mud man. Totally see you being a mud person. I could see mud people. Yep. That would not be a hard sell for me to be like, that's that's a mud man. Hey, Don't worry about it. Check it out. It's the mud man. It it makes a lot of sense. The science is behind this science is just our subjective opinion but i'm glad it's behind it either way at this point we're about halfway into the episode Uh, we really haven't discussed anything about indigenous stewardship at this point which is kind of out of not the way we usually do things now while there's evidence of chestnut and butternut pollen in the northeastern united states around six thousand years ago black walnut only appeared sparingly in records until roughly 500 years ago which is only about the same time that corn showed up. So that's not very far back at all. Now, while part of that is that while chestnuts, oaks, and hickories thrive in rocky and acidic soils, which is like basically the entire east coast of North America, a tree that requires those really deep, rich, fertile soils doesn't really have a lot of support in terms of ecosystem to be here, right? It did a lot better in places like west of the Appalachians so are you guys uh ready to nerd out on this a little bit harder oh yeah
2: you know I'm not I don't know I don't know anything about black walnuts but i'll 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 I'll, I'll dig deep with you buddy
0: he's gonna dig deep let's dive in while I sink my teeth deep into this do you, information. To, do you have
2: to dig for walnuts no they come from a tree right
0: yeah we're not digging for walnuts you can dig for d's nuts man you should and we're gonna leave it there how do we get this far into the episode without a deez d's nuts I don't like it
2: because I just had to set you up.
0: Ugh. These nuts sounds like a
2: terrible date. Okay, ready for you for you, Andy? Went to a horrible Italian restaurant and I ended up digging for for these nuts.
0: <laughs> Was not on the menu. These nuts. We should take a break. Let's just cut it right here.
1: Are you looking for a sexy Halloween costume with an ecological twist? Come on down to the Paw Rolls Farming Emporium and Sexy Halloween Warehouse, where we have such favorites as. Sexy upper middle class farmer. Sexy goat. Teats optional. Sexy vermectin. Sexy perennial fruit and nut trees. Sexy squale and pond systems. And blueberry bush. Find us at our new home on the web, or
0: Welcome back. Let's get into this really niche fucking, like, You uni- first off, shout out to the person who helped me get this paper, because it's not a lot online, like, anywhere, like, SciHub hub or whatever this guy mw wyckoff his research we're gonna we're gonna talk about it so uh, this idea of this late arrival of black walnuts on the east coast is really proposed only recently in 1991 through this guy mw wyckoff's research where he suggests that uh, the distribution of black walnut trees in central new york specifically lines up with the locations of the five nation settlements
1: yeah shout out to mw wyckoff mm, yes I gotta say, like, M.W. M- as, like, author initials, pretty sweet. That's, like, that's a sweet author-sounding name.
0: Yeah, it it's pretty good. I mean, M.W. Wyckoff. Something, though, in general about, like, the the first and, and middle initials before their last names, it just, like, makes anyone sound important, right? Yeah. I don't know your middle initials, so I can't. No, you don't. You never will. Never. You wouldn't expect it. Do you remember my middle name? I do. Really? It's Allison, isn't it? I don't remember yours. I think I do, but I don't actually. It's definitely one that when I hear it, I'd be like, yeah, I knew it. Hmm. Sad, I I can't do that. No middle name. Well, I mean, I've known Elliot since I was like six, so I'm pretty sure I've heard his mom yell it at him a million times. I might have blacked it out. Probably. She was scared when she yelled, man. Yeah, she (laughs) was. As a little white kid in your house, I was like, oh shit, this is how I die. All right, so, Wyckoff. He makes this claim, right? And now what's interesting is that he also makes the point that not only are these in this location, like right like around these Five Nation settlements, but also that these black walnuts are isolated from any other black walnut populations at the time. And that suggests that the people who live there deliberately planted these trees. And more importantly, they transported them from hundreds of miles away, along with other species like hackberry.
1: Would they walk... 500 miles
0: they might
2: no they'd be making their way downtown walking fast is this is the the how did how did no people yeah, i'm not saying
0: that on record how to know Sani? probably but i'm not pronouncing how to
2: how to know how to know how to know
0: the what how did know Sani? i'm drinking elliot's favorite brand great water no that's your favorite brand <laughs> not dasani it's been recalled to drink it
1: andy so i'm making mm. you sick You've got hepatitis A. It's making making you sick.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Yes, Elliot, thank you for that advice, not to eat anything from Walmart ever again, because it's killing me. I didn't didn't come up with that. This is my strictly recording water. I don't drink it any other time. That explains it. Maybe. All right, so um, the point of his research, and I think it's pretty strong evidence of how plants were selected and propagated uh, when they were believed to have value. The black walnut really... You know, we we always we we've been talking about them for like their nut value, but they actually have a lot more value than just the nuts.
2: More than just the nuts. Sounds like an origin story. Are you telling me like what was it? More than just food? Could they use it for like I don't know, lubricant or something? What were they using it for?
0: If Norm found a way to lubricate with his black walnut with his nut oil with his nut oil, it's the norm or the norm origin story, Jesus. the origin story.
2: I swear. You got to give it up, man. You can't just, you're not going to make up, you're not going to invent any new words. It's not going to happen. All, There's no way the com- word Norigen exists. All the compound words that will ever exist, exist now, unless you're German.
0: <laughs> That's a weird addendum to In throw like on there. In like 300
1: years, this podcast is going to come up as like the origin for these regular, these like everyday words we say.
0: Oh, hell yeah, I hope so. Like this weird podcast that no one listened to, but certain words got like stuck in people's brains like a fucking tumor. Like, yeah. That's what it like is. This, you're welcome. I got you. All right. And that word is Norwegian. Back
2: to the research.
0: Nor I can't. So to Elliot's point, there were a lot of different uses. So you have the bark of the black walnut, and that was used by a number of different Native American communities. Uh, it was used in tea. Uh, as a disease remedy agent, uh, it was chewed or applied for toothaches and snake bites and headaches. Um, it was used for making dyes, like a dark brown or a black dye. Uh, the leaves could be pulverized for the treatment of ringworm. Uh, Cherokee specifically used the leaves for a green dye. Uh, and even some folks used it as a, at the leaves as an insecticide.
1: Damn. Uh, black walnut was like the, the Windex of its time. Yeah,
2: I'll, I could see that, but just tell me you're not using Windex for toothaches. No,
0: I'm just
1: just for casual drinking.
0: <laughs> Fair enough. As long as you're not drinking it with bleach, you're fine. You can't mix the ammonia and bleach.
1: And you know I've always said that. I've always said that.
0: Right. Now, the nuts were also eaten as nuts, but they're also ground and added to pemmican, soups, and baked goods. Black walnuts are super oily. Oftentimes that was used to flavor drinks, uh, especially in the Southwest, where it was mixed with agave pulp. When the black walnut was discovered by colonist, they brought it back to Europe, even though they had the English and Persian walnuts. However, despite this, even by the 17th century, the French were developing really complex silvicultural systems around these trees. So they were making these managed forests with, that were designed around like a coppicing with standards model.
2: And I I still, to this day, cannot hear the word coppicing without thinking about mulberry leaves and how they're supposedly edible.
1: And that was by design. Man, Andy's playing
0: chess and we're playing checkers. I can see Elliot drooling. He's thinking about those mulberry leaves right now. You can't just shake your head. I see it. Shaking my damn head. (laughs) But your heart says yes. SMH. For our listeners (laughs) in this audio format. Do you remember what coppicing with standards is, Elliot?
2: Uh, I'm gonna assume it doesn't mean what it sounds like.
0: You're gonna have to explain that.
2: Like having standards versus doing whatever you want with with the coppicing.
0: They love a good standardization. This is how the West won. Is that standardization I'm telling you? Anyways, but coppicing with standards means cutting a tree down to its roots, allowing uh all those shoots to come back up, but keeping just one as the main trunk. While all the other shoots are cut on like a shorter cycle. So it gives you like the benefits of like a canopy tree as well as having those young shoots that you can use for like a number of other things. Yeah. So the best of both worlds, you've got like a like mass
1: producing and like timber producing tree in the middle and then all these like compass stools around that you can use for other things that you're saying is like on a shorter rotation.
0: Basically. Yeah the main reservation people have with black walnuts is around the chemical compound juglone so first off what is juglone
2: so i feel like i know what this is we've talked about this before right have we i think so you've mentioned it before it's like a um byproduct i don't know if it's a toxin of the tree like if it's a waste or a byproduct but it makes it so that nothing likes to grow around the juglone.
1: i thought it was the like the people that Paint their faces like clowns. I see you talking about ICP. <laughs>
0: <laughs> Juggalos, juggalones, Piss juggalones. Like oh that. god! Bring it all Always together. Always bring it back to the piss jugs.
2: This is. I mean, that's what worst. we're all about. Really. It's the worst. Am I right or not?
0: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's the worst. That is our new bumper sticker.
2: Am I Done. am I right about the juggaloon?
0: Yeah, kind of. And that's that's the problem juglone has a very specific reputation we're gonna talk about that because it's much more complicated than uh people think i thought i was gonna get more pushback on that from you Elliot. but all right let's do it
2: (laughs) i'm ready to nerd out with you i said that after the second commercial break
0: all right let's do it so juglone is an organic compound with the molecular formula c10 h603 yeah, that doesn't mean anything to me either. And it's like a fucked up sugar. Yeah, maybe I don't know. I'm. I didn't go to. I never had chemistry in college, high school, or college, or biology. I took a little bit, but I remember a lot. I literally. I shouldn't have graduated high school. Now, in 1921, M.T. Cook, great name. Another classic. Another classic. Uh, at the Virginia Agricultural Experiment Station, discovered that tomato plants near black walnut were adversely affected. Showing wilted leaves.
1: You know what, and this is coming from a double-letter name, so it's, it's like, automatically trustworthy.
2: Yep. And Andy's pseudonym that he's been trying out is C.D.'s it's Nuts. We're trying.
1: We're trying, Elliot.
2: No, no we're not.
1: Okay, fine. You just, uh, outed Andy's pen name. He's been writing into a lot of newspapers as C.D.'s Nuts. That's
0: how we- that's Yeah, how, now, they're gonna find that's out- That's
2: how we joined the N.N.G.A.
0: Have some strongly worded letters to the New York Times about their font choice. Now they're going to know. It's like that TikTok reel. Who's going to know? Who's going to know? They're never going to (laughs) know.
2: Pathetic. They're going to (laughs) know. They're going to know.
0: This is not something that they just discovered in the 20s. There's this very long, long history of belief that walnuts in general were not good for crops or other species. This went back all the way to Pliny the Elder, who wrote in his Naturalist Historia, in quote... The shade of the walnut even caused headaches in man and injured anything planted in the vicinity, end quote. So, like, walnut has historically been this, like, textbook example of allelopathy. But the question is, is it valid? Yes. No. What do you guys think?
2: Uh, based on your tone and your love of making things complicated, I'm going to say both.
0: That's fair. A big break in the case against black walnut came in 1928 when Everett Davis of the Virginia Agricultural Experiment Station presented the results of a study describing a newly isolated chemical from black walnut. To examine this claim, we should circle back to the original experiment by Everett Davis. His experiment involved direct stem injection of unknown concentrations of juglone without mention of a control group. All that remains today of this experiment is the published abstract of a presentation. Nothing that could ever be recreated. Not that we necessarily need to, because many tests have been done since. The tests that followed to confirm this discovery applied juglone at far higher concentrations than would ever be found in nature. And the field tests often relied on anecdotal evidence from crop failures at the edges of agricultural fields, where failure would otherwise still be more common.
2: So it sounds like it does affect plants, but just not as bad or negatively as people
0: thought? We're getting there.
2: Oh, we're going to make sense of this whole thing, huh? You're going to try to make that happen? Uh,
0: Oh, yeah. We went down a rabbit hole on this one. On the opposite end of the spectrum, in a three-year study, researchers assessed the same plants with exposure to black walnut and found no significant plant growth differences. And that was based on exposure to black walnut. While evidence has shown juggling to have negative effects, its impacts have not been consistently proven. For every test that has shown it inhibits growth, another test has been shown otherwise. Oh my God, the BTSD is back, boys. That's
1: right.
2: Sounds like it's he's heading and into bad. biochar territory. Bad it's and good. good.
1: It's bad. It's bad, but then it's good. It's it's good when it, it's bad. It's good when it's bad, but bad sometimes. When it's might too be good. good.
2: But then when it goes like really bad, it comes back around. Like so it's get. a
1: horseshoe sort of thing, but it's bad and good.
0: We, did we get this right, Andy? It's music to my ears. <laughs> you nailed it. And to this point, the fact that there's inconsistent results should highlight that there's something more to this walnut wilt caused by juglone than what's being tested, right? And the fact that researchers have documented juglone and other common plants, including Fabaceae, beans. The most commonly recommended companion crop should also give some pause, right? Now, what this should mean is that it's clearly not as simple as black walnuts equal juglone, equal poor companion plant. In fact, research is beginning to understand and explain some of this, although there's still a bunch of work left to be done. One thing that has become clear is that juglone is not distributed evenly across the tree, and that distribution changes based on a number of factors, including time of year. These concentrations are further complicated, being unique on a tree-by-tree basis. Now, while it's produced in the leaves, evidence seems to be pointing to the roots carrying most of the juglone within the plant.
2: Okay, so I'm trying to keep up here. The plants create juglone, but not at the same amounts in each plant. And it's also seasonal, and it starts in one part of the plant, but that specific part
1: isn't the problem. So it's messy enough to just assume it's all bad?
0: That it would be the easy answer. Nice. I like easy. But only in the few last decades have researchers begun exploring this process in further detail. Ah, of course. Now, new studies are suggesting that there's a number of factors that dictate how much juglone is made available in the soil for other plants, including the soil composition itself, the microbial community, the time of year, soil organic matter, and even the clay content specifically within the soil. And while seasonal differences were measurable, they were not significant. Ant soils showed that they were often capable of breaking down small amounts of juglone before it ever reached another plant. Never let grow, Jack.
2: Matt, I know you said the line that somehow this is Andy's fault. Thank you.
1: I I appreciate the benefit of the doubt here.
0: You're welcome. I guess. I don't know. So the question of where the juglone is coming from is also an important one. Now, in the study where they made these discoveries about the soil types and so on, they also trialed using root barriers to assess the impact of roots and juglone concentration, which showed that the areas where the roots had been blocked had 80% lower amounts of juglone in the soil. Hmm, interesting. Further, the areas where the roots had been barricaded from expanding further showed significantly higher amounts of juglone than any other parts of the root system.
2: Okay, so it's the roots mostly. But I don't even want to ask questions anymore because I know I'm going to change my mind about what I think about 10 times in the next 30 seconds.
0: Yeah, that's probably a good idea. So is it the roots, not the roots? It could be the roots. It could be the roots. Now, this raises the obvious question. How does this juglone eventually break down? A very specific bacterium called Pseudomonas putida, isolated from soil beneath black walnut trees, has been found to metabolize juglone. And there are probably others that are specialists for this particular compound. Now, when in contact with this bacterium, juglone is converted into, and I'm not going to be able to do this one, 3-hydroxy juglone, then more slowly to 2-3-dihydroxybenzoate, and further to 2-hydroxymuconic acid semialdehyde. Did I get that, Elliot?
2: Yeah, you nailed it. I'm just trying to think if I've seen any of those in the drugs that I've taken before. I don't think I have.
1: You know what? I, that that was impressive as hell, Let's let's just uh, let's just appreciate that pronunciation for a second. Hell yeah! So organic chemistry, uh can suck on these
0: these nuts.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: No, nope, you had it. it.
2: You almost sounded like you earned a high school diploma, and then you ruined
0: it. You were so close. I did, and I do that though. Here's the thing: is that we have no idea what the uh, allelopathic potential for these byproducts from the juggle and degradation is. Like we we don't know anything about them. However, the evolutionary development of this bacterium to specialize would suggest that the juglone, in fact, is a consistent chemical around walnuts and, as we've covered, other species. And the question is whether or not the chemical is metabolized quickly enough and, further, what are the impacts of those untested chemical compositions?
1: Can we, uh, can we just chalk this up to uh, one of life's little mysteries? I mean, it sounds like there's
2: just a whole lot more research that needs to be done because i'm guessing if there's something that metabolizes the compound it's waste or byproduct or whatever has to be used by other plants because that's just the way all this works right
0: yeah basically uh, and we're just starting to like instead of just being like juggling bad start to say all right let's let's understand what its kind of role is in this ecosystem right and uh there's one little thing worth talking about more on this subject uh, one a little paper that kind of explains the inconsistencies of these testings comes from a really rather boringly titled research piece called, in quote, Bioassays for Allelopathy in Terrestrial Plants, end quote. I know, sounds super exciting. Now, in this paper, they argue that the factor that is consistently inconsistent in much of the research is plant density. Reduced growth at low but not at high plant densities is very difficult to explain on the basis of resource competition. So
1: you're talking about like the planting of the test plants into black
0: walnut soils, right? Exactly. So one implication of this experiment is that even when juglone is present in toxic amounts, toxicity may not be manifested if the target plant density is high enough. In other words, by planting densely, the test subjects, tomato plants, whatever it might be, are able to redistribute the amount of juglone, reducing the juglone in soil per plant. Now, while the evidence of this is slim, it does help close some of those conflicting pieces of research. But they
2: basically spread out the jug and sort of share the pain of having to deal with it. But because it's spread out over uh, many plants, it looks like it has no effect.
0: Yeah, that's what they believe, at least. Uh, now while testing is the solution to
2: Her- herd immunity type shit, but with plants.
0: Yeah. 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 They, they're spreading it, spreading it about, like if everyone has it, then none of us have it too badly. And the reality is that while testing has been applied around juggling and plant toxicity, it's actually much more limited than you might think. Elliot doesn't believe me.
2: Mm-mm. Nope. Still shaking He's my head. My head's starting to hurt Been shaking it for a while.
0: There is substantial circumstantial evidence to suggest that juggling contributes to those instances of walnut wilt, or those plants suffering by being near black walnut, but the lack of actual, quantifiable, repeatable data, as we pointed out, between laboratory and field studies, leaves even the basic hypothesis really poorly supported. That's not to say I don't believe that juggling is an issue, but rather there's a significant gap in data-backed field evidence to account for the, uh, I guess you could call them the diversity of players in a, a forest versus, say, like a laboratory, right? So the takeaway to me is that juggling does negatively impact plants around them, but there are a lot of things you can probably do to reduce the risks of having black walnuts if you really want to. So if you love the taste of foot, listen up. Uh, You can do things like taking IMOs from mature black walnut sites where those bacterium are common to make sure you're planting densely around the black walnuts to uh, reduce how much that juggle is uh, isolated to each plant, just like we talked about. There are a number of ways that we could start trying to figure out how to get around this issue uh, without it being like the, I can't plant black walnut because it's going to destroy my food forest, blah, 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 bullshit.
2: I mean, I do believe this man loves the taste of a good foot, because who else would say something like that?
0: Listen, we don't kink shame here, Elliot.
1: Uh, this is a good time to uh, let our listeners know that this episode is brought to you by uh, FeetFinder.com. Be the foot fetish, taste the foot fetish.
0: Ugh, no. It's like the old Skittles commercial about the rainbow. Ugh, Be gross. the rainbow, taste the rainbow. Oh, okay. Last thing I want to bring up, and then we can be done with this. Uh, processing black walnuts is a pain in the butt. It's arguably one of the biggest challenges of black walnuts being a staple in our diet is that the nuts are just like hard to process. Uh, historically, uh, for cracking like cup-like depressions in size of the size of the nut, were uh, picked into like small boulders or slabs of shale, and then the nut would be like placed in the depression, and they'd literally have to use two stones to crush it. Now, today, the most commonly recommended nutcracker on the homestead scale for people listening here is Grandpa's Goodie Getter, but it still is really designed for individual use and it's expensive. It's, uh, I think it's almost like 200 bucks.
1: So, what exactly are you getting for a $200 nutcracker? Granny's Goodies, obviously. Oh my God. Why?
2: Why is this happening to me?
0: That was very good, man. I'm very proud of you. The first major attempt at scalable black walnut processing came kind of as a secondary effort of the pecan processing industry with a certain man named E.A. Smaley's Smaley Manufacturing Company. Until this point, and even for decades longer, most black walnut processing was done by employees using hammers to crack the nuts and separating the shell from the nut meats by hand, as the Gravette Shelling Company, for example, did well into the 60s. Almost all of these companies focused on making black walnuts a viable crop stemmed from the same region, the western half of Appalachia. Again, think about what we talked about before, that's where those trees had historically been. Many companies came and went, all trying to crack the nut of making a viable black walnut industry.
2: I I love you, buddy, but I hate you at the same time. Good. I just wish you'd stop.
0: Many lasted only a few years, offering new techniques, many of which were ineffective or not scalable. Gravette Shelling Company, the folks still using hammers to crack open nuts into the 60s, was later purchased by Hammond's Products Company, which today is the largest producer of black walnuts. While they've refined the process of separating the nut meat from the shell, their equipment is proprietary, but offers some insight into the potential for scaling up this type of processing.
1: Sounds like a capitalist propaganda to me.
0: I mean, it should, but it does point to the fact that we could do this. Like The technology is there. But what's actually even more important and interesting to me is their business model. Now, you would think a black walnut company would like grow black walnuts, but they don't. They own no trees. They produce zero walnuts. You're saying they have no nuts? No nuts. None of them have nuts there. Their model is based on individuals collecting the fallen nuts from their own trees or from public trees, bringing them to way stations where they're paid for the nuts by the pound oh they have other people's nuts
2: yeah they have other people's nuts by the pound
0: they're pounding
1: other people's nuts by the pound is what we're saying yes that's their
0: business model does norm does norm know about this I think Norm was their inspiration. Oh god. Norm's been had. Yeah, he got, he got capitalized real quick by uh, certain people that were about to get a fucking cease and desist letter. So this model uh is really interesting because it offers some insight into how many similar like wild foods could potentially be processed at scale. So we've talked about acorns, hickories, chinkapins. You know, all these nuts could be processed in a similar way. Centralizing production in this way and giving a reason for individuals to have a stake in a healthier ecosystem through nut trees in particular is a win-win. The ideal situation would be to set up production under a cooperative model instead of a private model like what they have. Even if an individual didn't care to harvest the nut themselves, you could still plant trees and then get paid by teams of folks that could travel through neighborhoods, increasing efficiency and building the early stages of like a, a community resource collection team. Just, Just teams,
1: just folks being teams legions of nut gatherers
2: a coalition of the willing
0: there you go elliot think of it this way there's a team of folks who harvest wild foods from a community acorns and hickories black walnuts persimmons and then through the spring they could harvest maple and birch sap the same way we have like libraries or even tool libraries we could have processing centers for communities to process their own food many of these things have very similar needs in terms of equipment right whether it's maple and birch sap that need to boil a lot of liquid or canners or acorn processing with lye and uh, like hot water. There's a number, a lot of these have very similar stuff they need. And either way, you still need the same cooking equipment, tables, so on. So if you have these centers, you could actually process food for a community, from a community, owned by a community, right? So I think this is like a really interesting way to think about you know, people always say like, well, how do we do this now instead of waiting for the the collapse of capitalism or whatever, right? Well, these are the examples to look to to how do you build community and produce food in your community at the same time. Here you go. Currently, according to nuts.com, there is a substantial price difference between black walnuts and English walnuts, uh about eighteen ninety nine as of right now versus ten ninety nine for English walnuts. So there's still work to be done, but at the very least, like it's not totally unaffordable, and this should really give folks pause to consider how different ways of processing and relating to food can offer new insights to what it means to create these like place-based food systems.
2: Cool. I mean, it sounds a lot like a lot more fun than going to, I guess, the grocery store. I don't, I don't know. I don't even know. Where, I, that's why I started this podcast to figure out my where the fuck my food comes
1: from.
0: True, it comes from Norm.
1: We can just have Andy tell us. He keeps telling me it's from three thousand years ago. <laughs> this is a ten thousand year old nut. Why am I eating this?
2: It could taste like buttery, smooth goodness or feet.
1: You'll love it either way. It's a roll of the dice. This is what he's
2: trying to feed me, man. When I bite into a nut and it tastes like blue cheese. Like I, I like blue cheese, but I'm just not ready for that. You know what I mean?
1: <laughs> mm-hmm. You're not blue yet, but what you're saying about these like you know potential like community processing centers reminds me a lot of like what you were talking about with the uh, Chris Newman on the that episode recently about like like different ways that like scale and specialization doesn't have to be like it doesn't have to be the i guess the way we have it now it like can work to support rather than like undermine these like local systems of food,
0: like, you know, feeding ourselves. Yeah. I think it really comes down to this idea of equity, right? How do you have stake and ownership in that process? The scale itself isn't the bad guy. It's about making sure that scale fits to the dynamics around it and to the to the ability of accountability to uh, the community that it, it it is owned by, right? Yeah. I mean, there's just
1: reminded me of like in uh where i used to live in burlington vermont like they had like even like in the city they had a cooperative that was like we'll we'll like tap your maple tree we'll like collect the sap and we'll boil it all you have to do is like let us let us in i think when people start like looking at like the food that they can collect around them a lot of people like okay i have you know this this mass this tree that's producing mast or you know berries or sap and like you know i'm not gonna go invest two hundred dollars in a nutcracker machine or like all the equipment i need to like collect and boil syrup but yeah some of this community scale stuff can really give these projects a kick in the pants. Maybe, maybe that's a, you know, give these projects uh,
0: kicking the nuts, yeah. kicking the norms nuts.
1: Oh my God! You
2: you you set it up, man. Oh I thought that's my God. I thought that's where you were going. No, oh.
1: that's <sighs> I'm I'm done for tonight. That's it. It's over for me. You say that? No, but
0: I I think your point is that
1: <laughs> access. Like, to... I can't I can't carry on this conversation. I'm sorry.
0: <laughs> Access to the equipment is so high that people won't engage with it. But if you have it through a community where there's no money, you know, I'm not going to go spend $300 on a will
2: sum it up with a fucking fortune cookie. Many hands make light work. That applies to an economic Amen. system. It applies to food. It applies to fucking everything. So just deal with that.
0: Deal with that. Deal with them Get nuts. these big, black, sweaty... Nuts. Listen, it's
2: hard to process, all right, Andy? It's hard to process these nuts, right?
0: <laughs> these nuts. Well, this has been fun, everyone. This has been atrocious. We, this it been old.
1: everyone. Has it been fun?
0: It's, it's been a more unique episode. I will say that. We, we got into yeah. some, some shit.
2: Uh, should we give him a teaser for the next episode? Are we still talking
0: about nuts? Uh, next week, we have an interview. Uh, as of this moment, it has not been recorded, but um... I'm very excited about it. So once I, it actually happens, I can say the name, but I don't want to. And any time I've ever done that, we've had an issue and didn't get it recorded in time. <laughs> so I'm not going to do that. Uh, yes,
1: Dom, like dub a different name over it.
0: <laughs> yes, it'll be like. And we're really excited about George's nuts. <laughs> yeah. No. Um. So yeah, I'm real excited, but it's going to tie into black walnuts. And uh, yeah, we got a we got a few more nut episodes before we get into the the next series so i'm i'm looking forward to awesome getting nutty with these two nut that's heads. fun
2: well thank you for listening to the poor pearls almanac and we hope you come back and nut with us again
0: not all over ellie oh my god
2: we'll you guys need together. to
1: figure out some better jokes for these next episodes it's
0: no
2: i mean they
1: write themselves i hate it here
2: <laughs> <laughs> welcome to my life
0: Feetfinder.com Be the foot fetish,
1: taste the foot fetish.